0: This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yo. Welcome to the Too Dad to Quit podcast. The podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce.
1: To inspire and give strength to dads going through it.
0: I'm Ben. And I'm Joel. We are up to our fifth episode. Uh, we're really excited about it and I'll get to it in a second. But I did want to remind you all make sure that you do subscribe, like, share, and reach out to us if you want to tell your story. We do want to have you here. We want to have as many guests as possible. We want to tell your story, let you tell your story, and we, everyone, you know, even if you don't think your story is important, everyone has something to share and something to give over, and we really want to have you on it. This episode is with Noah Joseph. He is a car fanatic. He has Two young children. He started in a small town in Canada and made his way thousands of miles away, built a life in a new country. Uh, he's very uh, calming, I would say, mm-hmm. his deme- demeanor. And um, I, it was very interesting listening to him and how he's thought through everything that he's done, uh, especially the way that he and his ex are parenting. Uh, it's very, very well thought out. And uh, it's something that's very special. And to hear him talk about it is is really, really nice. Um, and what did you take from this episode? Uh, and it was, you know, I got a lot from it, but I'd love to hear what you got.
1: Yeah, I got a ton from it. I, I also have to throw out there that he's a fellow Canadian. So that was exciting. I think this is the first podcast where we actually shared a drink together, Noah and I. Uh, ben, we'll get you uh, in on that next time, maybe, eventually. We'll see. I'll <laughs> enjoy my water. <wife. laughs> uh, but that that definitely helped with the calming demeanor. But yeah, Noah, I mean, I know Noah for for a while, uh, and uh, he's just a pleasure. And something that I really took from it was the way he spoke about making a decision, you know, being intentional. He made a decision that he's not going to be angry. So he was quite candid about having feelings and emotions and having uh, a choice, really a choice to make, you know, he can either go in the direction of being angry and resentful, and that could affect his communications with his ex-wife. And that obviously then trickles down into, uh, you know, how it affects his children, or he can go the other way and make a decision to be, uh, to
0: let go of that. Uh, and, even and th- Intentional is a, is a great word for that mm. because he, he said, you know, I only had two emotions and I never knew how to feel the thing before the reaction, which is anger. And he decided that he needed to figure it out and get over it, or he would be stuck in a horrible loop. And, uh, yeah, intentional is a really good word. Mm,
1: yeah. And not only that, he was also, you know, like many of our other uh, guests, he, he talked about the fact that uh, he has gone to a therapist. And that's important. I think it's important for men to, to understand that there's no stigma attached to that, especially uh, you know, these days, uh, there probably should, should never have been a stigma, uh, and certainly not these days, and, and men need that. Uh, you know, they, they need somebody to talk to, whether it's a good friend or a therapist or both. Uh, so he was very candid about that, and he was very open about how that's helped him as well. Uh, so I think uh, there's just so many takeaways, and uh, like you, Ben, I really, really enjoyed the discussion, man.
0: Yeah, and as a car guy, I really, really enjoyed this episode, and uh, enjoy.
1: Welcome, Noah. So good to uh, have you on the podcast, appreciate you doing this. Thanks, it's
2: a pleasure to be here.
1: Alright, great. I wish I didn't it. have
2: any uh, experience to impart, but uh, if I do, then uh, glad to share it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm super excited about this, I know Ben is as well. Uh, I'm just going to tell our listeners, our audience, a bit about you. Uh, Noah Joseph is a Canadian-Israeli who writes about cars for a living. He's a divorced father of two. And is blessed with a twisted sense of humor, an unreasonable love for racing stripes, and a deep-seated phobia of roller skates. Is that true? Not even. <laughs> okay. He has a bachelor's degree that's almost worth the paper it's printed on. Clearly has a sense of humor. That's me, Ad Libbing. Yeah. And a face for radio. So no one tell him the cameras are rolling. And if anybody would see how many cameras we have rolling, <laughs> try not to tell you Noah what's going on behind the scenes. Uh in any anyway, <laughs> you, you? Cheers know. before we get Cheers, started. L'chaim. All right, bro. Cheers. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, being a fellow Canadian, except I'm from the better part of Canada, yeah. Toronto. No as a Montrealer. It's what part of Montreal is it still yeah, you know, before the referendum or after the referendum. What part of what part of Montreal are you from, by the way?
2: I'm from um, a town called Montreal West. It has about seven to ten thousand people. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like right next to the Jewish neighborhoods, but like not is that the uh, is fancier
0: it, version or the not fancy version? It's 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 not so fancy, but it's waspy. y was, was like, it newer, like the newer version. Like no, sometimes they create new neighborhoods. Older. You're from New Jersey. And the new neighborhood is like Brooklyn East, and it's this right.
2: same Brooklyn, but to the to the east, but a little newer. Right. So this was Montreal West, which was actually like built like before all the other towns built up around it. So it was like farmland and these now very old houses, and the neighborhoods like. Hundred years old plus. I remember when they celebrated their centenary. Um, <clears throat> all the houses that were that were there when the when the town was formed actually got like a special plaque, and we missed it by like two years. Oh jeez! Wow. Oh. Is it closer to uh, Cote Saint Luke or right, to next to oh, okay. right next to Cote
1: Saint Luke. Right next to Cote Saint Luke. So I walked to Shul in Cote Saint Luke. Got it.
2: Okay. Yeah. And Cote Saint Luke is close to Ushermont. I mean, no. I mean, that's where my mom grew up. So I'm just oh kidding. yeah. No, Ushermont is like another part of town. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It was a nice place to grow up. It was interesting being like one of the only Jewish kids in the neighborhood. Mm. Um, but I went to Jewish school, so I had like, you know, Jewish friends from school who just like didn't so much live in my neighborhood mm. at all. Yes, have siblings? I have one older older brother who kind of doubles as a sister sometimes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Were you guys close? Should we ask to explain
1: that one? <laughs> After the opening joke. <laughs> I'm kind of hesitant. I was going to tell my story,
2: but now I'm like, forget it. This is getting more interesting oh, okay. by the yeah. minute. <laughs> Uh, were we close? Yeah, we were very close growing up. We did everything the same until, like, our paths just, like, diverged. Mm-hmm. He became a hipster, and I became religious, and he moved to the States, and I moved to Israel, and, yeah. When did you move to Israel? Um, it's been 19 years now. Yeah, I moved right out of college. Are kidding? I 19 years? Yeah, 19 years. Oh, holy moly. So, yeah, 2004, said. Uh, what was the what? catalyst for that? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Couldn't get good hummus in Montreal. <laughs> I didn't like hummus that much. Um, I had actually been flying back and forth a lot uh, when I was in college. I was like involved in a in a prominent uh, Israel advocacy campaign at Concordia University when it was like, you know, the shit was really hitting the fan. If I can curse on your on your show. Yes.
1: Yes, you can. Um, it's not for kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about about kids. It's, it's about, about kids, <laughs> but not for you. well, it is for
2: kids, but. Um, yeah, I kind of felt like I needed to settle down somewhere, and Israel was starting to feel more like my home uh, than Montreal, and Montreal started feeling more like my past, and Israel more like my future. Um, so yeah, right out of college. My favorite pair of gloves I bought there. Nice. Uh,
0: they're <laughs> they're wool on the outside, yeah. but like super soft and like finnulated on the inside. Mm. So they're like faux wool uh, sweet. things.
2: Sweet. So, yeah, comedians okay. do good clubs. That's what we're sure. good for.
0: So you
1: were politically active. Like, do you have, do you active. enjoy
2: politics? Is that something that you're, you're still into? Or? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Like I moved here, I was like a political activist for a while. I worked in some think tanks on some political campaigns, and uh, pretty pretty soon figured out what everybody told me I would that uh, that politics is a dirty game here, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be involved in it. And you know, even if you're not like in national politics, then. Or municipal politics, for that matter, I guess. But like you know, working for think tanks and, and nonprofits and that kind of thing, uh, a lot of people move here with that with that sort of goal in mind and that career path. Um, so you end up with a lot of people vying for few jobs mm. that are thankless and don't pay very well. Mm. And you're a writer. Were you a writer back then? Uh, no, it's not something that I had done professionally before. But I started getting into it. I started. Uh, blogging about cars um when that was like still a new thing there were basically like two websites um for car news mm. actually my brother turned me onto it because he was like you know you read a lot of like car news like where are you getting your news i said well you know i get get magazines when i can get my hands on them mm, right. but by then the, the news is already months old mm-hmm. he's like well why don't you check out autoblog.com or jalopnik um jalopnik jalopnik that's great so for a while it was Autoblog and Jalopnik were basically the only two sites out there, and I worked for Autoblog. Uh, started when it was, when it was like at its infants infancy, and um, I kind of grew up with it, um, writing about cars professionally. And from there, you know, I branched out with other clients. Um, had a couple of pieces published in the New York Times, Car and wow. Driver. Wow. So yeah. yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. It was. Is, uh, it, is it all cars? Uh, all types of cars. Yeah. 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 And you covered everything. Yep. I covered whatever the industry had to throw at us. And uh, all the automotive news that was fit to print was our you know, our approach to things. One
1: sec. We're not done with cars. We're going to get back we're to that back in a second. Okay. Uh, but I, I'm just curious because this just came up in conversation with somebody. Uh-huh. What, and this is funny because I'm told a lot that I think too much, uh-huh. but ironically I'm about what to you ask told you. do me that. What? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what that, so you, you you, were to think, what is a th- can you explain to our audience, ah. or really to me, but to our what is a think tank? Was I talking to you about I was talking to not somebody me. about no.
2: Yeah, what the hell I is tank? I don't think know take? where the term came from, but basically it's like a like a research institute, but but like not like a laboratory, you know, they're coming up with ideas and, and positing policy and like that. So, you know, political research institutes that were coming up with policy recommendations, um, Came to be known as think tanks.
1: Uh-huh. And so how does it they get grants or it's their non profit or how does it work like financially? Like what's the yeah. model
2: there? I'm just curious. Do you know yeah, they it... would you know they would get funding from various sources. Mm. Uh, I worked at one just around the corner here and um
1: here in Jerusalem. Here in Jerusalem, yeah. Hmm. All yeah.
0: right, cool. Yeah. There's you. definitely yeah. different models. Yeah. But also, you know, some politicians will go to think tanks and ask them to research
2: something or
1: Right.
0: Yeah. They're like brains on demand. Yeah. Brains on demand. I like that.
2: All right. And apparently, <laughs> especially in the States now, there's um there's a lot of policy that ends up a lot of legislation that's basically written by these think tanks and it gets proposed to, you know, some lawmaker mm. who adopts it, sponsors it, gets other people on board. And so, you know, you need the legislators to actually sponsor it and to right. support it and to vote on it. But a lot of the a lot of the heavy work is being being done by by third parties. Mm. Cool. All
1: right. Now well, that we got that out of the
0: way, right? <laughs> yeah. back to car. Back to the cool stuff. <laughs> so I see you've got a Ferrari behind you. Yes. I actually a, yeah. growing up, my one of my neighbors actually had that car, but it wasn't a real Ferrari. It was like a kit they built on top of an old Corvette um, or something.
2: Yeah, I've seen some of those. So, any stories behind these well, pictures? Yeah, these are photos that I took. They were two of my favorite photos that I took um, in my work. That's awesome. This is a Ferrari 250 GTO that's worth about $50 million. Five zero? Five zero. And it's Ooh, red and
0: for most... all the listeners out there with a <laughs> white uh, circle with a number 10 on the side. It looks like a
2: pool, like a cue ball or something like that, right? This yeah, town. Yeah, what do they call it's them? They call them like a the golf ball or something yeah. where they would put the number on, on old race cars. I you forget know what the term was. Mm. But I saw this racing around at an event at uh, on a track in, in Canada, actually, the Circuit Mont-Tremblant. Wow! Can you, can you see that? Um, I cannot. I'm not you. even gonna try. T- not <laughs> even gonna try. Uh, it's a great racetrack, and Ferrari helped an event up there. And I had a good good relationship with one of their PR people there, so they had me up there, and you know, I photographed this from the side of the track. That's awesome. And, yeah. How close were you? Because it looks pretty close? It, it looks, looks pretty close. close. So I was zoomed in and, mm-hmm. and then I cropped it. Is it telephoto? Um, yeah, I think I used a telephoto lens. I mean, yeah, it was from pretty far away. Not like you know. The real question is,
0: how many people have you
2: told that the guy in the passenger seat is you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, this car actually—they asked me um, if I wanted to be driving it for the shot or to be taking the shot myself. That looks like. All that, right. that looks like Ben over there. The One second, seat, well, everybody. Yeah. For the listeners
0: here, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so I want to hear you describe that car because I know what it is. Uh huh. But you
2: for know, our listeners, please. You know what it is.
0: Yeah. Write it down. I want to test you afterwards. But anyway,
2: so. It starts with an N. All right, here we go. That's a McLaren uh, 650S. Son spider of a bitch. Uh-huh. That I was, um, I drove that car in the south of Spain, and that's at the Ascari Race Resort, which was like a racetrack that's basically for, for wealthy individuals to... come like and just Yeah. For <laughs> people, like, I, I was pretending that I was, like, for <laughs> And that was fun. We were just driving that, that car on, on local roads and around that racetrack to kind of see what it could do, and, uh... And then we were doing photography on the track and they said, you know, do you want to you want to come along for the photo session? Do you want moving shots? Because I took a lot of static shots. Right, yeah. I kept like moving the car <laughs> in between shots. Yeah. Um, and they're like, we're, we're doing moving shots now. So you can either be in the car and we'll photograph you driving, right. which I actually did on another trip with, with McLaren in a similar car. Nice. Mm-hmm. But for this one, I actually wanted to take the photos myself and I was leaning out of a moving van. I was going to ask you. That's nice. awesome. Tracking the shot. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's and crazy. it's orange, which is my favorite color. So. It's my least favorite color. But <laughs> yeah. you know, McLaren orange. That's, uh, that's their trademark color, just like Ferrari's is red. Right, so you got into your love of cars at what age? Just since so yes, yeah. I was a little kid, my brother and I would buy all the car magazines that we could. You know, we would pool our allowance. And like, you know, my nickel and your quarter, like, what can we get? We save it up at the end of the month. Is your dad into cars, or this is like your own, you and your I brothers? Really, it was mostly, yeah, me and my brother, and we would quiz each other on car trivia. Mm.
0: And did you buy, like, only car magazines? Like, I grew up reading Rob Report, and I don't know any 11, 12-year-olds that read Rob Report, but yeah. that was, like, my favorite magazine in the world.
2: Yeah, you see the fancy cars. Yeah, yeah it was fancy cars, yachts. Right, like, yeah. right, right, right. Was... So we, yeah. bought, we bought yacht magazines also, because my parents had a boat. So long it. It's a Carver five thirty, uh big power boat, two enormous engines. Um, and yeah, we would we would take that all the way from Lake Champlain by the Canadian border down to Florida. Wow, wow whole US East Coast. Do you have a cottage or something? Or like no, just the boat. We'd on them. the boat. Yeah. Really? Yeah, we did pace up wow. on on the boat. Passover
0: Seder. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my good two of them. <clears throat> Wait, anyway, two Seder, yeah. You didn't take it on like the Canadian Lake. No nope. areas. No, we would you drive down, down like really an down
2: hour and, and a half uh, either on on Lake Champlain, which is where, where they keep it most of the time. Okay. Which is a huge lake. Mm-hmm. It would take like a couple of days to get from from the north to the south wow. of the lake. Uh, but it's very narrow, so you know it's not just like wide open water. It's it's a really nice place. Uh, I had uh, two of my uncles, my mom's older and younger brothers, had houses on the lake, so we would uh, you know go do, visit them. Do you fish also? We, um, just we didn't do much fishing. My grandfather would come down. He also you know, lived around the corner from us in Montreal, my grandparents. And um, you know, he liked fishing, so when he would come down to the boat, we would fish. Uh, you know, show me and my brother what we were doing wrong. Nice. <laughs> you water ski off of it? And he's, no, yeah. too big for water
1: Can't ski skis,
2: nothing. Um, so we had no. a, a dinghy. Uh, like an okay. incredible dinghy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love that. I haven't heard that term. Is that a Canadian term or do you call no, it dinghy? Dinghy is a dinghy.
1: A dinghy. Okay. Okay. Playing with my dinghy here from a young age.
0: Would <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> expect nothing less than So, any other like crazy hobbies you're into besides obsessing over cars?
2: Uh, no, no, I like writing. I like cars, and that pretty much takes up all of my time,
1: right? You're doing that. Today,
2: Um, that's what you do now, right? Yeah, that's sort of what I do now. Uh, No, I transitioned (laughs) in my career. I kind of pivoted. um, And it all kind of ties into my divorce story also, Mm because this all happened around the same time. We'll get there. Uh, We'll get there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I started working at an automotive technology company here in Israel, which is like, it's a huge growing sector in uh, in Israeli high tech. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I write content for them. So, you know, the last assignment that I did, even though it was like a little bit more involved than some of the news articles that I would write in terms of like how many stakeholders there are and who, who needs to see it before it can get published. Right. Um, but otherwise, like it was very much like the work that I used to do. Wow. Yeah. So would you say you have a passion for
1: it? Like this is what you know, this is what you enjoy, like, are you yeah. enjoying it now type of things. I do, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, they, you know, the high points of my career um, were when I was a journalist, you know, right. those were the fun things. Driving a car like this one on a racetrack in Spain is like a lot of fun. Mm. But, you know, despite like what Instagram may tell you, like that's, those experiences are like few and far between. Mm. Unless you want to be one of these journalists who's like constantly on the road. And I have colleagues like that. They basically, they're never home. They fly from one one of these like residents to another and they live out of a suitcase. Mm. And, you know, it seems very exciting, but it's not for me. Why? um cuz i want to have a home life uh, it's also hard to travel if you keep kosher mm. and shabbat so like you know i have to you know plan my events around like well where am i going to be for shabbat where am i going to get food from you know i would usually fly to europe from israel for like you know 2 3 days maybe right. and then fly back i would just like bring some food with me right right and you know try not to get too comfortable out there in uh, the diaspora right. um one trip i did actually was it was just one day, um, and I was in constant motion for 24 hours. I didn't bring a suitcase. I packed, like, a couple of sandwiches, my camera, my laptop, a change of clothes. And from when I left from my apartment to when I got back there, it was pretty much exactly 24 hours. And, you know, I went to the airport in a cab or whatever, got on the plane. They had the car waiting for me at the airport in Germany. I drove it all day, drove it back to the airport, got on the plane, came back. Mm. In like with nothing but the stuff in my backpack. That wow. was like one of the best press trips. That's awesome. You had another
1: trip recently. I was following you on uh, Facebook. Uh, yeah. uh right. That
2: was that was that your most recent trip? Yeah, so okay. so now it, it it's kind of funny because I didn't expect when I when I switched from journalism into like marketing content, I didn't expect that I would be like going to a racetrack right. again um for a long time unless it was like out of pocket. Um mm. But, yeah, the company that I work for, we, we launched this initiative where we're sponsoring a racing series, so we, we went to the racetrack a couple of times, once in, in Belgium and once before that in, in Italy, to go and, like, you know, see the races that we're sponsoring and meet the people that we've been working with. Wow. What was that like? A lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. There was one, like, 24-hour race in, wow. in Belgium, and, like, we went with a contingent of people from the company, and some of us, you know, are, are also, you know, some, Sabbath observant mm. um, for, for our broader listening audience. Mm. Um, so we, we rented a house like, right by the racetrack and I'm like making Kiddush uh, blessing the wine on Friday night and you know, I had to like, pause for a second as like, all the cars went. So yeah, that, that's, that part's been fun. And, uh, and we have a couple of these like professional-grade $20,000 racing simulators Set up in the office. Wow.
0: wow.
2: So on some days when I don't have the kids to come home to, and really well, nobody to come to right. home to, if I'm not picking up the kids from school and garden at the end of the day, um, kindergarten, right? Then, uh, then really, I, you know, I'm walking into an empty house. Um, so you know, I'll work late and then go over to to the main office and, and just sit there for an hour trying to perfect my lap times. Wow. And embarrassing myself to <laughs> you know, realizing just how far I am. From and how many kids do you have? Two that I know of. <laughs> okay. You can never really be that. How shy. many that you don't know? Don't what? Know Good question. <laughs> boy, girl, boy, girl. A boy and a girl, so I've got both both those bases covered. Mm-hmm. I have a boy who's uh, six and a half, uh, going on ten. <laughs> and a girl who's three, and. Uh, got sixteen. Yeah. And do
0: do either of them have your car
2: passion? My my son is you know he's also getting very interested in cars and he can. He can tell me if an electric car is passing by or like you know no in way yeah. at the age of six yeah they
0: have got the blue icon somewhere on there for it,
2: usually he can tell from the from the noise it makes oh yeah he's like that that sounds Gee. like an electric car and sometimes yeah. it's a hybrid and i'm like well, it's a hybrid not like an EP but um you know if it's in electric mode he's like that no, sounds like electric car yeah, the hardest thing for me when I was a kid because I
0: also knew I knew all my neighbors' cars and their uh-huh. license plates. Oh, funny. So I knew whoever was coming down the road. Um, but the two cars I couldn't figure out were, were Lincoln Town Cars versus limousines. Uh-huh. It was horrible for me. I could not figure that out for the life of me. I know. Oh, yeah, the Town
2: Cars often turned into windows. I know, right? but there was only one extra window.
0: But uh-huh. It took me years to figure that out. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I started driving, I could tell police cars by the headlights behind me. So I knew the headlights of the police cars at night, mm. nice. Um, which were like Crown Vicks and uh, Lincoln Mercuries, and so I, I'm also a car person, but like specs and all that, I don't really get into. Right. But like, I know what I like, and I, you know, what's your favorite car? I'm I'm partial to Ferraris personally.
2: Uh, all which Italian which cars. Um, Two fifty GTO would be
0: pretty nice. All right. Mm, but it's a uh, Ferrari F three fifty five? Yellow.
2: In yellow, interesting. Yes. Yeah, I thought orange I really was like favorite color. I know,
0: not for sports cars,
2: favorite not for cars. Though. I haven't found
0: an orange except for that right. uh, McLaren that's it really, that's really a, a solid looking orange car.
2: Yeah, I, I, I dream of, of one day owning a 355 Spider, yeah, with the six speed mm-hmm. Yeah, instead cool. of doing those uh, automated automated transmissions or, or manualized automatics mm. uh, around then. So, a lot of people went for those, mm-hmm. you know, because it was like the new thing. But like, Mm -hmm. they didn't work very well. Right. What you really want is the one with the the manual, it's going to be exposed shift gate and that real tactile feeling. I'm just curious, is that,
1: do you think that's going to be a bit outdated, like we're talking about, you know, especially with the company that you're with, we're talking about self-driving cars. So, you know, is that, the whole idea of driving cars, do you think that's going to be something that's a thing of the past? It's
2: a good question. We we don't know. Um, I told my son maybe he won't even need a driver's license.
0: Mm, My daughter is hoping she doesn't have to drive. Yeah. The anxiety is just, she can't even imagine. Well, in that case, I hope your daughter doesn't have to drive also. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm working on it and I will teach her how not to. It's like uh-huh. when, speaking of roller skating, rollerblading, ice skating. So the trick about doing those and not freaking out every two seconds is not to worry about the people behind you. Mm. Just worry about the people in front of you. The people behind you will move out of the way or figure out how not to hit you. Yeah. Um, so once you get that in your head, then you're like, here you go. But it's that always. What's happening behind me? What's happening around me? Right. And if you can just realize that you focus, you do what you're supposed to be doing. Ninety nine percent of the time, you'll be fine. My parents always mm-hmm. had
1: that classic line. You know, it's
0: it's not you are worried about. It's
1: the other driver. They yeah. used to always say that if I was going out New Year's or any sort of high season on the roads, they'd always say that. It didn't stop I, me, but yeah.
2: <laughs> You're asking if uh, if I give my my sons my love of my my kids my love of cars. I made my this was this is a great uh, project that I undertook. I made uh, my son like this flip book it has like car logos of like oh, wow. you know maybe like uh, fifty car brands. And mm-hmm. I put all like logos and the name of the company, which company owns them, where they're made, how expensive they are. So wow. you have
0: like the whole Daimler
2: line there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so so he's really learned it, but like what really what really got me is like every time he opens it he reads the inscription that I put in it. Oh, nice. I, I mm. made it for his birthday. That's really sweet. And he wrote something about, like, you may always be as, like, inquisitive and curious as Beautiful. you are right now. Um, and he just, he reads it and he just smiles every time. That's Beautiful. Sweet. Yeah.
1: That's really great. So it sounds like you have a really, like, special connection with your kids. Like your yeah, baby. thank God. Yeah. I
2: do. Yeah. Mm. Um, my daughter was only, like, a year old when I moved out. And, um, But I was really glad that I already had, like, built a strong, strong relationship with her. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
2: And do you have them, you have them, what's your arrangement? 50-50. It's a little, little hard to follow. We were talking about this uh, just last night when we were hanging out. That um, we, we started out with a, it was always like 50-50 arrangement. Mm -hmm. Although, at the beginning, my, my daughter was more, more with her mom. She was younger. Yeah, she was still nursing and you know, very attached to her mother, uh, which she still is, understandably, um, but yeah, so we, we initially set out, you know, I have this day every week, I have the kids every, you know, every week mm-hmm. on, on these days and you have them on these days, but then the weekend would alternate because, you know, no one parent is going to have them every weekend, that mm-hmm. wouldn't be fair for anybody, um, so, you know, that made things we actually found kind of difficult. It was easier for us as parents um, to kind of plan our schedules, knowing like Mondays and Wednesdays and And Thursday. Um, Yeah. So, but we actually ended up switching to a schedule where um, it's the same. It's like a three-two-two arrangement. It's hard to split up a seven-day week evenly, right? Mm. So, but it but it alternates week to week. Right. so if i have them well say my 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 ex has them this weekend so she had them thursday friday saturday she drops them off at school and kindergarten on sunday morning i pick them up sunday that's our, our switchover over mm-hmm. like drop off and pick up mm-hmm. um so i'll have them sunday sunday monday and then drop them off and then she'll have them Tuesday, and I'll have them the next right, week. Yeah, so right.
0: I think what the lawyers do is instead of splitting it up with seven days, mm-hmm. they split up 14 days. And they, they see it in like two
2: week periods. Right. And that's easier to split. Yeah, I think that's yeah, how, our, how our mediator tackled it, also.
1: Yeah. And how long have you been divorced for?
2: Um, two, yeah, just, just about two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit plus with like the separation. Right. You know, we separated when, basically when I moved into this apartment, mm-hmm. and, um, and then, you know, it just took a little while to work out the paperwork, mm-hmm. finalize everything.
1: Mm-hmm. And do the kids, such a young age, I mean, do they, do they understand what was happening? Do they understand the whole situation? or um, Is this something you've ever talked to them about? or, or
2: Yeah, that... sure, we talk about it, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's, there's always, you know, I always try to make room for, for discussion about it. Yes, of course you miss her mother, she's her mother. Mm. Like that—that that doesn't detract from me. That—that right. um, that you miss your mother, you're allowed to miss your mother. You want to call her, that's no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing, you know, vice versa. Um, but yeah, initially, you know, my daughter was too young to really right. wrap her head around it. Mm. And my son also, you know, so you know, it's something that had to evolve. He was, you know, he's he's only six and a half now, and it's been two years. Yeah. You know, first, he was actually in Kindergarten, There's a complex, like, right next door to here. If you put your head out on the balcony and, and look to the left, you can see, oh, yeah. Yeah. see the building. Yeah. And that's where my daughter is now, also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so we rode by here um, on our bikes on the way wow. to, to his Kindergarten. And I said, you know, you see that house over there? And, you know, he looked at it. He, he calls it the Blue Door House, just because there's blue, <laughs> blue shutters on the, on the balcony <laughs> doors. Not on the front door. Everybody <laughs> else is like, why is this called the Blue Door House? You're about, you're it's okay. Here.
0: I called it the swimming pool
2: house. The swimming pool. All right. Oh, is, when yeah, I, you came know, it the first it's time, right. it a swimming pool. Some the swimming, the yeah. Inflatable, yeah, yeah. Kids' pool. I just put that away for the season. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give up on summer at some point. Although oh, it's still beautiful outside, actually, for November. When we
0: were yeah. it's, it's not swimming. Yeah. I have to take apart the pool.
2: Yeah. 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 So. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I told him, you know, I'm going to move into this house and you're going to be, you know, sometimes with with Ima, with your mother, and sometimes with me. And, uh, you know, you'll have two houses and, you know, I'm still your dad and she's still your mom. And, you know, initially, you know, we just phrased it in such a positive way right. that, you know, he didn't really have anything to hold on to to be afraid about. Um, you know, the reality set in... Over time, and you know, sometimes he tells his mother like, "I want to, be at my father's house, and, and vice versa." Mm. Um, but by and large, you know, it's been uh, it's been pretty smooth. Mm. A very adaptable child.
1: Right. What about you
2: in terms of adaptable? Like, did you have? Uh,
1: I think I've asked this question of a, a, a few of our of our guests already. But you know, as it's happening, did you have any sort of fears? And and I'm asking you especially because. I would say your kids are younger than, I, I don't know if there's an average, but they're very young. So, like, did you have any sort of fears, trepidations, and and how have you managed, managed
2: that since? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, there's, there's certain anxieties that come with, like, oh, I'm solely responsible for these kids' well-being right now. Mm. Like, they're in my care. I need to make sure that I don't, like, I don't know, fall off a ladder putting putting something away and right. you know, don't shout at them and make sure that they have clean clothes and food packed to go to, to school or, or kindergarten in the morning. Um so you know it's it's a lot of responsibility. There's there's this story they tell about um about the town with, with ten Jewish men, right? Not to make it like too too Jewish sorry, <laughs> but there's uh, there's a town with hmm? nothing. Must be an interesting town. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's ten Jewish men in this town, and of course you need twenty um, opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five synagogues. Um, you need you know ten Jewish men to to have a quorum for prayers, right? Um, and so when there were ten Jewish men in the town, they always had minion—that's what they call the quorum, right? Um, and then an eleventh family moved into the neighborhood, and they could never get a quorum together because everybody always thought like, well, you know, this time. to the next one, minute. right? Let let the other ten uh, make it this time. I don't I don't have to go. Everybody thought that, or half of them thought that, whatever. So, you know, when when I have the kids with me, it feels like, you know, like the the ten men situation where like you no, know, I have a, I have a responsibility. It's this is all on me, mm-hmm. as opposed to when the mothers in the picture also, right. you know, I can take a break. You have backup. Yeah, yeah, I have backup. Um, can you put the kids to sleep tonight? Um, you're packing their lunches good. Like when they I'm gonna here. go to the bathroom for four minutes. <laughs> yes, yes, please do not murder each other.
0: Did you have to learn any like new skills or or things that you I don't know, you moved here a long time ago, so you've been on your own for a while, but yes. were there any, you know, things that you learned or or you know, figured out what the kids like to eat or Yeah, know, so cooking
2: like cooking's been a new thing. Like, you know, I used to prepare myself food, but like wasn't always like balanced, nutritious meal. Uh, wasn't always all that tasty either. Mm. Uh, I would just kind of throw something together, and you know, if it worked for me, it worked for me. right Suddenly, I've got you know two picky little little mouths to feed. Mm. Um, so you know, definitely had to uh, had to adapt to that, and um, you know, also other things. You know, like having a, a daughter in diapers is different from having a son in diapers. Mm. You have to learn other things and. You know that was just something that we were dealing with recently. You know, I was like, I'm proud of myself for being able to to step up. You know when when I can tell my my baby mama that um, you know that our daughter's having uh, difficulty with X, Y, and Z, um, and she's like, Oh wow, I hadn't noticed that. And you know what did what did you notice? You know how is she sleeping? How is she breathing? She's had some like you know <clears throat> respiratory issues. Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, not too drastic, thankfully, yeah. but uh, you know something we're we're trying to track and and take care of. Um, you know, it gives me pride to to be like, you know, a real, really responsible father, and yeah, hands on, and not just like
0: hey, the the fun parent
2: that you get to visit and like anything goes, and mm. you know, mom will take care of it. Mm. Um, and when I can make them food, when my ex-wife asked me like. Hey, what meals have you been making that they that they like? What has that been going for you? And I can give her a recipe. And I'm like, what's going on here? This doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Right. Right. But you know, if I can tell her about the the pasta dish that I make them that they really like, then uh, that's awesome. Right. And they might be going to her
0: house and saying, "I want Abba's this, Abba's that." So yeah. She has to come to you for that. That's cool.
2: Yeah. So you know, that's a uh, a point of pride that uh, that I'm I'm able to rise up to the occasion and uh and you know parent them, take care of their needs, physical needs and uh and their emotional well being
0: mm.
2: and uh you know try to try to give them a happy home and and a good childhood, you know, despite everything else.
1: Mm. And financial
2: financial needs as well. That's yeah. A big one. <laughs> yeah, financial is a big one. Um you know, going from a two income home to a one income home. You know, mm-hmm. some some expenses of course get split. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, I still need to pay rent on an apartment that's big enough to house all of us mm. um, half the time. I don't pay less when they're not renting, Right, right. right. Their room just sits here empty, like right. it is right now. Um, so, yeah, there, there are certain uh, financial burdens. But, uh, I mean, thankfully, I got a steady job right around the time that, uh, that I was right. splitting up.
1: I was going to ask you, and, and how do you, in actuality, like I know in my experience... So I've got older, just for our audience, I've got five children ranging from eight to 19. So I could lean on my older kids, even my youngest, who's eight, there's already a certain level of independence. But at your stage, where the kids are still, your oldest yeah. is six. How do you actually manage, you know, the sort of work-life, work-life balance as, a, you know, as, at this point in your life, you know, being at the stage that you're at as a single dad, how do you manage that? Like, how do you actually
2: manage the two um yeah no that's a good question it's uh it can be tricky thankfully you know I work in an environment with a lot of other parents you know most of them are married but um you know they, they understand you know of course you need to leave at 3.30 4 o'clock to go and pick up your kids and you're gonna be offline until you know I might have to right. sign on later in the evening to mm. to compensate and to to get my work done but um you know, they're pretty understanding because they're all in a similar situation. Um, it, is, it is tricky juggling the two. Um, but, you yeah, know, you
0: make it work. But you're also, your marketing and writing. You're mm-hmm. not, like, sales. You're not, you don't have anything that's, like, come down to the fire. You have deadlines, of course. Yeah. But, like, if you do it at 4 o'clock or you do it at 8 o'clock, as long as you're on, you know, I assume it's a lot easier than someone that's like involved in sales or has to be in front of a computer all the time or right. something that has to be on all the time
2: that's true yeah mm. yeah as long as the work gets done in a timely fashion do you
1: ever have to lean on any? do you have anybody who can help you if, or have you ever needed that like do you ever use babysitters or even friends or anything like that or you're pretty much self-sufficient in that I, sense? I like to be self-reliant right self-reliant mm-hmm. is
2: a better word yeah um yeah, I mean, I, there, there are friends that I could call upon, you know, if, uh, you know, I can't make it, something's come up, and I can't make it to pick up my kids, mm-hmm. you know, to call somebody or to you know, hire a babysitter. Um, you know, my ex-wife usually has a babysitter that she, or two, that she works with. She's like, you know, if you ever need her, you should call her also. Um, I prefer to just do it myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and was I'm this good.
0: flexibility when you were looking for a job? Did you have this in mind?
2: that I was going to be getting divorced? What do you mean?
0: Yeah, where you were looking for something where you could be more around, it sounds like it was around COVID time, so.
2: Yeah, well, okay, so maybe we should um, rewind a little bit and, sure. and set the, the baseline about mm-hmm. yeah. how, the, how the divorce happened. And um, I mean, it, it didn't all happen overnight. You know, the marriage was on a rocky foundation, built on a rocky foundation. Um, what's the term? A
0: rocky foundation? That's fine. Works. Um,
2: That's fine. All right shaky foundation. Um, but then, you know, COVID hit and, you know, we had a around the same time that my daughter was born. It was like only shortly after. She was only a few months old. So we had a newborn at home. We had a kid who was now home from kindergarten with no, you know, no structure, no no daycare in, in his life. So he was home. Um, we both basically lost our jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, she was put on oh, lot, uh, uh, unpaid leave. Yeah, unpaid leave. So she, yeah, she was put on unpaid leave when Corona started. And I was a freelancer and my, my client base just froze overnight. Everybody that I was working with, like my, my steady clients, uh, all froze their budgets for freelance work. They're like, we don't know what's happening. We're going to get by on our in house staff mm-hmm. and that's it. So we're not buying any of your, any of your work right now. Um, and I had actually had like a bunch of new projects for like the first time in a long time. I had some new projects that I was working on that I was really excited about. We were starting to build momentum. I had actually put in some work on one of these. A lot of work um, on the basis that it was going to pay when we launched, but we never launched. Mm. So you know, all the work that I had been doing mm. for the past you know, uh, probably a couple of months, I uh, never got paid for. Um, and obviously these new projects all froze. So yeah, we were both out of work. We had uh, uh, two two young kids at home, um, and you know there were lockdowns and we couldn't leave the house. Neither of us had any family here. You know we we mm-hmm. each moved here alone, so we didn't have any family on the one hand to lean on, also to take care of and worry about. Um, and and then then my my wife at the time uh, broke both of her ankles, wow. and was in a wheelchair for like two months. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, in a very short amount of time, we went from uh, two parents with one kid to two parents with two kids, and now it was basically one parent with three kids, three people to take yeah, care of. Right? right. As much as you know, she did not want to have to be taken care of. She's very you know independent, um, an active, active person. Uh, didn't not like being taken care of, which kind of put, added its own element mm. of stress. Because, mm. you know, I'm trying to take care of her and she doesn't want to be taken care mm. of. And, uh, you know, I had a hard time, you know, keeping it all together myself. Um, and, you know, once, uh, once her, her ankles healed and she was back on her feet, she was like, yeah, we're getting divorced. Wow. Mm. So, you know, that was, uh, like I said, the the load of bricks that broke the camel's back it wasn't just a straw at that point and mm-hmm. the, the camel was in health as it was right. um, and yeah right around that time it was on, on my my daughter's uh first birthday we actually both started new jobs um and, and shortly after that i i found this place moved in here and um and that's that's where we're at mm.
0: okay um so We like to, you know, that this podcast is for people that have been through divorce and and dads that are surviving and and being productive after. Um, So we like to kind of focus on what you were going through, what your emotions, how you dealt with the process of divorce and that, Mm -hmm. and getting into that a little bit. Yeah, Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, there was certainly a journey and an ordeal and, um, you know, process that I think ultimately made me um, a better, stronger person Mm. as a result. um, You know, I used to... Basically, I I had two emotions before. Before I went through this kind of life-altering experience, I was either happy or I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was never sad. I was never forlorn or, Mm. you know, any other of the range of human emotions. I had two modes. Mm. Um, Now, you know, I might be... You know, a lot more sad than I ever had been in the years prior, but, you know, at least I, I know how to feel sadness. Right. Um, I know how to feel longing. I know how to feel, if I feel sad, it's not somebody else's fault. I don't have to get angry at somebody for, because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sad. That's not to say that I'm sad all the time. I'm sure. not, but you know, it's, it's a new, new life experience to be able to, uh, to experience.
0: Do you know where that happy, angry, that's how you became that way?
2: Is it? Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from um, from my childhood, from my upbringing, that, um, you yeah, know, I'm not gonna get into the whole dynamics now, but, you know, things that I wasn't even aware of that, you know, when, when you grow up with something, by definition, that is your normal, right? right? Mm, sure. Whatever you experienced in your upbringing, that's normal. And then you get older and you realize, I'm sure, just about everybody realizes this because, you know, what is normal and, you know, what are we, you know, what, what human being as a parent is capable of delivering a perfectly balanced childhood to right. their to the, to their children. Right. We all um, mess up one way or the other. Right? Right. right. I'm just trying to mess up different from my parents. <laughs> right. Well said, here. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. And how did you find those new emotions? some. did you get help did you I
2: did get help and, and I made certain um, decisions um, about my own you know when when we first started dating my ex-wife told me that one thing that she really she really liked about me was that I was emotionally intelligent mm. which isn't mm. a term that I was even familiar with I <laughs> But you at had it, it. <laughs> but apparently I had it right. um, and it yeah. I could be like deliberate and, and thoughtful about what I was what I was experiencing. <clears throat> and how other people were feeling. Um, so, you know, kind of built on that, but, you know, turned it, turned it right, inward. I was about to say, that's an outward thing. So you were yeah. able to turn it inward. Yeah, and start really, exactly, to really examine, you know, how I was feeling and what I was experiencing and, and almost more importantly, what I was going to do as a result. Mm. So, you know, I started going to therapy. I found a great therapist um, who's been, you know, a huge help. In, um, in helping me wrap my head around things and to understand myself better. Mm. Um, but a lot of it also... I mean, first I need to decide that I want to go to therapy, which is, mm. you know, yeah. a big first step. I had never gone to therapy before. Um, and And certain decisions that, like, you know, I don't want things to turn out the way they will turn out if I don't change something right now. Mm. So, for example, Um, when, when, you know, the marriage fell apart, and I'd really been fighting to try to, to keep our family together, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first instinct was to be, you know, really pissed at the woman who was leaving me and breaking up my home. Um, but I realized I didn't want that kind of relationship with her. I didn't want to put my kids through that. I didn't want to make the situation worse. And I didn't want to carry that anger mm. with me all the time. Mm. And I told myself, I need to make a change in, in, my, in my character and in my perspective and the way that I conduct myself. And this will be the hardest part, but the most important. The, the challenge immediately in front of me is not to be angry at my ex-wife.
1: Mm.
2: And man, that was, that was hard. Was the <laughs> first person you want to be angry at. Um, but, you know, I made that decision and to the best of my abilities and, you know, improving and increasing abilities, I think, um, you know, I followed through on it because I didn't want to catch my kids up in this, in this dynamic of, of two parents who are angry at each other. It's just, it's toxic in so many ways. And, um, and to her credit, you know, she, she responded in kind. I do I'm sure she went through, you know, a similar kind of. Uh, thought process herself, um, and it's it's difficult to to keep up for sure. It's like you know a whole kettle yeah. of fish.
1: I was going to um, ask you: Are you saying that because there's ongoing communications? There is. So yeah. is that why? <coughs> excuse me. Is that why you're saying it's difficult to to sort of keep that mentality or keep that consciousness in front of you at all times to like not get angry and things like that? Yeah, I need to
2: remind myself first of all. Mm-hmm. I don't need to get angry at her if she does something that upsets me. Why do, why do I really care? This person is in my life, for sure. I don't need to feel injured by something that she says or does, or doesn't say or do. You can't control that. I can't control that, and it doesn't, it doesn't need to affect well, you me. can, you, I mean You can't you can well, control, can control, control her how you her feel, actions. but you can control, we can control our, I,
1: I'm asking, like, I'm sort of asking, sort of saying you can control your responses, right? right?
2: Yes. Right. right. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, she said she was going to Ikea. Or that she had gone to ikea now when i said i was going to ikea there are things i need around the apartment i don't have a car even though i'm a crazy car guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and i don't have time to run out to ikea there isn't one in the city in which we right. all live right. or well in your city either there's none in my city there's none in your right. city there's none in our city mm. um you know it's it's like a journey you got to yeah. go to ikea it's probably like that in most places even if you do have it in your town um, it's like a still a trip, yeah, and it's, a whole trip. And, and it's designed to make you be there for hours. Yes, yeah. actually, used to work down the street from an IKEA um, here in Israel in Tanya, and we we would just pop over there for lunch. Right. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we need more more salad bowls. Okay, guys, we're gonna <laughs> go get salad bowls. I
1: have to interrupt for a second. I was listening. I always talk about what my favorite podcast, one of my favorite smart lists, and Will Arnett was saying. Ike- he feels IKEA is Swedish for fight. Because he says, you see husbands and wives, you know, couples yeah, go I mean. there, and they're like, we don't need it, but I want it, but we don't need it, because the whole store looks so enticing. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was a great line. But anyway, yeah. yeah so, we went to Ikea yeah. we were,
2: uh, a lot. I mean, we were a lot. We would go to Ikea. Yeah, we were yeah. dating. We were married. Cheap ice cream. I don't know was cheap there, but anyway. Yeah. there's <laughs> a lot of, well, I guess we just have different tastes. Yeah. <laughs> You don't like that like bright
1: neon light that they have they Oh my weird. god. I don't even anyway. like most of the furniture in this apartment. <laughs> it's my stuff.
2: It's functional. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so you were saying yes.
2: Yeah, so you went to IKEA.
1: Or you were you were going yeah, to Ikea. Yeah, I was
2: thing. gonna go to IKEA and when I told her I was planning on going to IKEA, she was like, Oh, can I send you a list of stuff that I want? I'm like, I don't have to buy anything for you. You're my ex wife. Mm. I'm not shopping for you. Mm. Of course. Like that's that's my internal wow. voice. And I'm like, Yeah, of course, like if I can get it, then no problem. I didn't end up going. And then, like, a while later, I heard that she went. Because she just moved into a new apartment. It's right down the street here. Mm-hmm. And practically see it from here. And yeah, she didn't tell you. And she didn't tell me. So, she doesn't have to tell me, first of all. This is what I what I told yeah. myself. I had to remind myself. Like, climb down from that ledge a little bit. Um, she doesn't have to tell you that she's going to Ikea. She doesn't have to offer to pick up anything mm-hmm. for you. She doesn't have to ask. If, if you need anything, um, and also, if you need something, if you need a favor, then ask. So I came back from, like, my first reaction was like, well, you? it was okay for you to ask me to get you something, but you didn't offer when you were going, why do I need to feel injured about that? Mm. I don't. Right. It's mm. such a small thing, it's a ridiculous thing to be offended about. And like, this internal voice in my head, like, you know, that doesn't need to, need to prevail. You know, you don't need to just follow whatever your instinct is. Is, your this some, is this something that you've come to
1: on your own, but with the aid of therapy? Like, do you feel that therapy has helped you come to yeah. these realizations? Yeah. Absolutely. So your therapist will give you tools to sort of work these things through? Or just by, by virtue of speaking it out with your therapist, you've been able to... We talk it through.
2: Mm-hmm. We talk it through. We discuss, you know, you know, my my reaction to things and, you know, how... Where is that coming from? Hmm. Yeah, you know, what part of my childhood is that?
0: Wow, which version yeah, are you doing it all through talk therapy?
2: Yep, yeah, we meet, and he uh, lives nearby. Would you say that?
1: I mean, is this? I don't know if it's like a cynical way of looking at it, or maybe it's a practical way. Would you say that learning to let go of expectations? Because I was sort of hearing that in what you're saying. Yeah. But would you? Is that overly simplistic, or is that you know sound advice you would say for for our audience, for example, in terms of communicating with uh, you know their children's mom
2: yeah to to kind of accept um that that this person doesn't owe you anything and to remind yourself that you want to have a good relationship with this person despite everything else and yeah i guess i guess that's really the, the crux of it what kind of relationship do i want to have with this person and what am I going to do about it? And, and I don't need to feel injured if she doesn't answer a message that I sent. Or if I feel like something's unduly on me. I can seek to fix it. Or I can leave it alone. Um, but I, I don't need to feel injured by any of this. Mm. And thankfully, like most of the time, this doesn't come up. We have a very good co-parenting relationship. Um, that's basically what our marriage was before we got divorced. Hmm. We were, like, down to co-parents who are cohabitating. Um, And now we're co-parents who are not cohabitating, and we have our own lives, and we have our free time when we have our free time. And, you know, the cohabitating part, the one-family nucleus didn't work out. We're still co-parenting. We still communicate on a very... Very regular basis several times a day we're like texting each other um, just this morning you know this is one of been one of my weekends off and uh, you know I spent a good part of it catching up on sleep they said you can't do this mm. I got up on sleep and in the morning not early morning late morning I heard a tiny little knock at the door mm. and there was my daughter at the door with with her mom um, telling me to you know come to the park with them. That's cute. It's a great park right across the street. So um, so we spent you know a good chunk of the day the four of us wow. together in the park. Wow. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she lives just on the other side of the park. You know we're all we're all neighbors here, and um, yeah, thankfully we have a, a good a good co-parenting relationship. This is the way that I that I kind of think of it. And I I don't know much about game theory. I took a uh class that touched on this in college um i understand game theory about it as well as i understand women which (laughs) evidently is not very good i think it's not a podcast on women (laughs) i can tell you how marriage fails i can't tell you how it succeeds do as i say not as i
0: do not yet right
2: right so if you take a look at at the situation of two people getting along right especially you know when the stakes are higher and the the um, emotional baggage is, is more there and there's there's more potential for things to go wrong, right? So it's a binary decision for each person at every at every point, at every potential point of conflict. Um, they both have to choose that we that we want to not be angry and combat it with each other, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's that means that there's like four decisions taking place
1: mm-hmm.
2: in any like potential conflict, right? I have to choose that I'm not going to be angry, and not going to be combative, and she has to choose the same. The likelihood is that one of us is going to choose the other, right? Mm. That one of us is going to be like, you know what, fuck it. I don't have to deal with this shit. I don't have to deal with your shit. And, and like not take the high road. Um, In order for two people to get along in that situation, and at every single juncture, we both have to decide that we're that we're going to cooperate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get that it's it's a rare thing um, for two people with that much history and with that much potential, at least for animosity, um, to get along as well as I do with my with my ex-wife is really something that I could only wish on on other divorced. Um, parents I'm curious so you're you're talking about the game theory Mm. and
1: both the ex-wife and ex-husband have to sort of make that decision to you know to act in the best interests of everybody involved so I'm curious do you have this may be a difficult question but do you have any advice for you know anybody in our audience out there who's thinking okay well that sounds great when both sides are on board in that sense but what about where one person feels that you know other you know my ex-wife is just not willing to be reasonable
2: or you know what do you have any advice for somebody who's thinking that that's tough um thankfully that's not something that i've had so much to deal with like there there are times when things don't go so smoothly even even when we're married um you know i remember one incident where you know she had this tendency to leave the house without her key right i worked from home she would leave without her key if I had to go out, I would lock the door, and if she came back and didn't have her key, then, you know, well, now I can't get into the house. Where are you? Like, Well, it's not really my problem, right? I can, I can try to prepare for this, but, like, it's your responsibility to carry your house key. So one time, you know, I had gone to pick up um, our son from, from kindergarten, and then we went out to the park, and we set up with, uh, with friends. We were having, like, a picnic, and she calls me. She's like, well, I'm, I'm locked out of the house. So I'm trying to find a solution. I'm like, okay, well, you know, we did leave a spare key with this person. Or maybe, you know, if you just need a place, she's like, I'm supposed to nurse our baby now. I'm like, you know, maybe you can go over to the neighbor's house. or, And I get that what she was hearing was, no, I'm not coming to help you. I'm trying to find a solution that will get her taken care of and also not have to upset the situation with my son. Um, And she starts, you know, bitching me out. She's like... You know, why aren't you coming to to help me? I'm like, you know, what, you're just going to leave us locked out of the house? And she's, you know, she's getting really, really ticked off. Mm. Which, you know, I, I guess I could understand where she was coming from. Um, but my response was, hey, what's with the hostility?
1: Mm.
2: Instead of like, you're yelling at me, you should bring your key, like, to kind of de-escalate the hostility right. and... No, what I'm trying to do is find find a solution that'll work for everybody if this solution will not work then we'll figure something else out I will come and let you into the house hmm. I'm not like locking you out out of spite that you didn't carry your key right right so you know similar sort of things I mean obviously not the same situation although not so dissimilar you know there was the time when like I gave her a spare key to the house to, to this apartment and she lost it and she's like I need to pick up something for the kids and I don't have my key. Like, uh, right. I can't give you another one. You can't right. keep losing. It was like two keys to my apartment that you right. lost. Um, you know, that's that has the potential for, for conflict. And my response could have been like, "I can't. I can't trust you with another key now." Mm. Uh, I don't think she has a key to my apartment now. There's one in the lockbox outside. It's fine, but. We'll erase that part. <laughs> <laughs> Not giving you the combination. Um, so yeah, there's there's always like. We're not always matched up. We're not always like both entering whatever, um, whatever exchange with like the best mindset and mm-hmm. the best intentions for the other person. Conflicts arise. Um, you try to de-escalate. If if you're dealing with somebody who is, by and large, a reasonable, rational person, which I have to say my ex-wife is. Um, she's not an emotional person. I think that was part of the problem in the in the marriage was like you know, an emotional disconnect. Um, but, you know, she's a rational person. Dealing with a rational person is, you know, obviously easier than an irrational one. Um, if you're dealing with somebody who's just fundamentally irrational, or, or even in that incident instance, just behaving completely un- unrationally, uh, irrationally, then, yeah, it can be difficult. You have to figure out a way to to remove your own emotions from the situation and try to de-escalate and try to meet the other person on on common ground. But again, you have to be dealing with somebody who is also, you know, behaving rationally, thinking rationally, and you know, isn't isn't out to get you.
1: Right. And and that kind of ties into my next question. It's a great segue, because I don't think anybody, including you and everything you've just said, would say that anybody, any man has to be and it goes both ways. But from the context of, of a man, uh, the situation has to be a doormat. So, in other words, we can have an opinion, right? Or let's say, you can have an opinion about your children, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, you know, what school you want to send your child to. And your ex-wife may have a difference of opinion. So, you're not advocating for saying that, okay, well, you know, you've got to, you've got to just sort of subjugate your opinion to the next one, right? So, I guess that can be really tricky. You know, I don't know if there... I don't think there is an answer per se. There isn't a one size fits all. It depends on the circumstances. But is that fair to say? You're not saying that anybody has to sort of no, nobody has a right to have an opinion. Obviously, you may have an opinion that's completely different than hers. That's yeah. just a part of reality, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we do have some differences in opinions. Me and my ex wife. Um, thankfully, they're not like fundamental differences. There's no like huge schism, although. You know, one of the one of the elements that I think that led to our, our divorce um, was that she, we, we had a religious home together. We were Sabbath observant and we kept kosher in our house and she really didn't want to anymore. And, you know, it's kind of incompatible. There are some people who make that sort of thing work. Um, at the time, it didn't feel like, like that could work. Um, so, you know, we do have our disagreements and I think a previous version of myself was more rigid and more judgmental and, and more prone to to anger. Um, wouldn't be okay with you know my ex-wife taking our kids um, to the beach and driving to Tel Aviv on on Shabbat on Saturday on, on Saturday. Um, you know I had to come to terms with this is the situation. I can't impose my views on on her. Um, what she does with the kids, you know, like I just have to trust that she's going to give them the best environment that she can, and I know that she loves them, and I know she's you know a, a level-headed person who's capable of putting the kids' needs first, and that she will. Um, it won't won't always be on the on the same values. It won't. We don't always have to. We won't always see the eye eye to eye, and we don't always have to. Um, but there are certain fundamentals, you know, even though she's. You know, not religious anymore, um, we still agreed that we would send our kids to religious schools um, because she sees the value in, in religious education, even if she doesn't buy into the system so much herself anymore. Um, so, you know, there are fundamental things that we still agree on. And disagreements arise. Um, if it's something I feel like I really can't live with, then, you know, I'll say so. Or if I just disagree with something... You know, then I'll tell her, and she'll tell me the same. If the situation is reversed, and something key that I think
0: you said, when you were describing how you were able to co-parent, was your co-parent. You were co-parenting and cohabitating. Yes. So it sounds like you already kind of figured out a dynamic how to deal with these differences pretty much. Yeah. And then you just decided that cohabitating wasn't going to work. So yeah. I think that is something very special. When it comes to people getting divorced, and most don't have that experience before, which yeah. makes the post-divorce relationship harder to figure out because you're not even you're not there all the time to have those conversations that are needed to do co-things. Right. Um, so I, I think that also, you know, is something that I it jumped out at me that you explained it that way, and that's how it kind of seems like it transitioned outside of that as well.
2: Yeah, that's true. And also, you know, a lot of, I can imagine that a lot of um, divorced dads might not have been such, such involved parents before the divorce and, mm-hmm. and then find, them in a situa- find themselves in a situation where, where they they either have to rise up to this new challenge of being an involved parent or, or don't end up seeing their kids much. Right. Or they want to. You
0: know, it was, you yeah. know... You do. I'm going to work, or I'm doing whatever, and this is my part of the house, and yeah. you're taking care of the kids. But now that you know, there's two different houses. There should be two different opinions, kind of, and uh,
2: trying to navigate that. Yeah. And having a voice. True, true. Well, we always talk things out when uh, when we were married, and we still talk things out. You know, insofar as they're relevant to the upbringing of our of our shared children. And thankfully, I was, you know, I was an involved parent before. Um, and I'm that much, I don't know, am I more involved now? It's, there's more, more on me when, when the kids are with me. But, you know, I already had a strong relationship with my kids. And I already knew how to be a, a parent to them. Right. So, you know, in that regard, it wasn't, wasn't such a huge shock. Like, what do I do with these people? How do I feed them? <laughs> right. You know, this is something that mom would usually do. I mean, there are things like that, Mm -hmm. but, you know, uh, figure it out like I figure out anything else. Mm
0: -hmm. And it sounds like you have that, you know, I have that also, like, there's not much in life that I can't do in my mind. Like, whatever I've tried to do, except for playing guitar and singing on key, everything (laughs) else I've ever tried in my life, I've been able to do and accomplish. And it sounds like you kind of have that same drive based on kind of your, your background.
2: Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't feel like I'm good at a lot of things, but, you know, being there for my kids, I think, is, is one of them, and, um, you know, other things I have to figure out along the way. And writing about cars is something that I'm good at, that I feel like I'm, I'm capable of doing. So, you know, I have those skills, so I'm going to stick with them. <laughs> right. Um, one other thing, you know, about the whole dynamic uh, between me and my ex-wife um, is that we didn't try to, you know, put each other through the ringer when it came to the divorce proceedings. Mm. You know, we went through mediation and, you know, I can't say this would work for everybody because, you know, it, it's that same dynamic of you both have to want to get through this amicably as possible. Mm. And unfortunately, that's not always the case, mm-hmm. you know, suffice it to say. Mm. Probably not the case in the majority of situations. Um... But, you know, we both entered it. She waived certain rights. I waived certain rights. Um, we both agreed that, you know, parents need the kids need both of their parents. Uh, she wasn't out to try to get the kids away from me um, because she knows that children need their father. Children definitely need their mother. They also need their father. Um, so, you know, there wasn't a wrestling match over over custody, thankfully. And in terms of our assets, we didn't have a lot of assets, so there wasn't much to argue over. But... You know, the Israeli system where we live, you know, presumes that the father is going to support the mother. Um, now, part of our whole marriage dynamic was that, you know, I supported her through grad school and then starting her career. And she really, you know, ran with her career um, to her credit. But, you know, at the same time, I was like picking up the kids and, and spending time with them after, after school and you know i was at home to working from home but i was there to like you know do laundry and dishes and you know she wasn't working while she was in grad school and you know so i already had like an experience of of being an at-home parent Mm -hmm. it's not like i just went to school uh, went to work every day and came back and like okay good night kids um i was involved and and you know, I already knew what that was like and I already had that good relationship with my kids. And I think part of the part of the dynamic with with our marriage that led to our divorce was that there was some resentment that I wasn't like out pursuing a career and making more money like like she was. Somebody had to had to be at home holding things together and I I was working, but I was a freelance writer. I wasn't mm-hmm. like breaking in the cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, had more lucrative contracts at some times than others. It was time for me to to start, you know, <clears throat> pursuing my business a little bit more um, in a concerted matter. Um, so yeah, there weren't a lot of assets to divide up. Um, but she also certainly didn't want to to put me in a situation where where I was paying her child support while also taking care of the kids half the time based on an income that, like, wouldn't support that. Mm-hmm. And she realized that. She realized that that prospect, although she would have been able to pursue that mm-hmm. uh, legally, um, was untenable. Uh, she didn't try to squeeze more oil out of me than, than I had, mm-hmm. um, thankfully. And, you know, I can't say that it was exactly equal, but, like, you know, as part of the negotiations, there were, like, things like, I don't know, her retirement fund from... job that she had after she graduated from grad school and you know i put her through grad school and you know introduced her to the people who hired her for her first job who hired her i'm not saying that i got her the job but Mm -hmm. i I helped her get in the door um the rest you know she did very well um but where was i going with this uh that you guys went to mediation and oh right yeah and she had like you know things like you know a retirement fund and the Mediator was like, okay, well, you know, Noah technically should get, you know, a half of the retirement fund down the line with its, you know, vested interest and whatever, um, based on this. And I was like, that's not my money. You know, I don't want that money. Um, I'm thinking like, in thirty years that I'm gonna want that money that I'm gonna like create this conflict now over money like in the distant future. Like she got that through her job, you know. Mm. That's that's her money, so she, I think she could see that I was also even if it wasn't exactly equivalent, she mm-hmm. could have gotten more money. Tried to squeeze more money out of me than I than I was like giving up with the retirement fund or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there was a dynamic give of and take. yes, a give and take, and I I think it it clearly made um, the whole procedure more go more smoothly, and. Again, it was down to you know both of us wanting to get through this uh, intact and as amicably as possible uh, despite you know the emotional uh, dynamic that plays a huge part in it. but you know I had another uh, friend who's divorced and remarried and has kids with his new wife I mean they've been married for like 10 years now um, and has a kid with his previous wife and like his divorce did not go well. Mm. Um, and she, she's still like a thorn in his side um, and you know he was telling me you gotta lawyer up you gotta lawyer up you gotta protect yourself you don't know what she might do and I'm like you're right I don't know what she might do but I don't think that she's going to take you know this sort of aggressive approach and I don't want to be the one to initiate that mm. um, so I did I left myself vulnerable Vulnerable. She she could have you know, lawyered up and and you know, taking the shark approach, taking the lawyer advice. Take yeah, um, but she didn't, and you know, we got through the process um, easily enough. Uh, there were a few sticking points, but you know, concessions were made on both sides, and we got through it. And when we went to divorce court, you know, we uh, we presented a united front to the judges, who you know look for. I think it was with the rabbinical judges, you know, in Israel there's, mm-hmm. there's like this dual system where right. you have to get a, a rabbinical divorce, a religious divorce, and also a, a secular legal divorce. Um, so you, you know, you do one and the other, um, I think it's the, the rabbis who like, look for a chink in the armor, mm-hmm. right? If, they, if they're not convinced that you both really want to get divorced, then they're not going to grant the divorce and they'll tell you going to go and work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, which might be good in some situations, I don't know. In our situation, we talked it through and we're like, don't throw don't show any shadow of doubt. You mm-hmm. have to both come in there and say this is what we want. Mm-hmm. I heard about another couple who they, you know, they everything was settled. They had their contract, divorce contract, all finalized. And they went into divorce court and they ask her, you know, do you want to get divorced? She says yes. And they ask him, Do you want to get divorced? He's like, Well, no, I don't want to get divorced. And they're like, Okay, so we're not granting it. Like okay, but like that's the way the system works, and the, you know, he answered the question honestly, but you know, not very intelligently, I guess.
1: Right, but just to be clear for our audience, you know, not to get too into the legalities, you know, my like legal background, I can't help myself, but, you know, again, fortunately, that that worked out great, and it sounds like you were both very prudent about it. Um, you know, not I know it's the case. Or, you know, not always the case. Not always the case. So, for example, you know, I know in my case. I badly wanted to mediate. And but the moment I was informed that my, you know, then wife, I guess you could say, had gotten a lawyer, I did get a lawyer. Yeah. Even though I'm a lawyer myself, but I didn't know anything about family law. Right. And so I just wanna make it clear for the audience, I think you would agree that and we're not giving legal advice in any way, shape or form, but you right. would agree that there is, yes, definitely when things can be worked out amicably, it's kind of like the game theory you were talking about, then great, if things can be worked out amicably, you took a chance and it worked out. But yeah. sometimes also, you know, if a, one sees that you know his ex-wife or his soon-to-be ex-wife is lawyering up, yeah. it's also important for somebody to protect themselves and, you know, to yeah. get that counsel. Unfortunately, that's just the reality, I think.
2: Right? And in a lot of situations. In a lot of situations, that. yeah. I certainly wouldn't advocate that nobody ever lawyer up Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you know lawyers are called for. I'm I'm thankful that that I took that leap of faith and that it didn't backfire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a leap of faith, and you know it could have backfired, and it probably would for other people. Mm-hmm. But you know a decision that I made early on in the process. You know I realized that I fought for my wife, but I wasn't going to fight against her when all was said and done. You know, mm. we tried to work it out, couldn't bridge the gap. Um, I fought tooth and nail to keep my family together. I realized in retrospect that I was more interested. My motivation was to keep my family together, not necessarily my marriage. Mm. So, you know, one, without one, you can't have the other. And, mm. you know, so that, that approach didn't work out. But when, uh, when all was said and done, you know, her mind was made up she heard me out we tried um, we tried at the best of both of our abilities maybe not but you yeah. know that that fighting spirit i didn't then translate to to like putting against her right which is incredible
1: i mean you say it you see it very simply but i just want to make it clear for our audience that and i'm sure a lot of men listening or, or watching know this that is incredibly hard. You have to really surrender your emotions in that sense. Because like Ben was saying before, you're still feeling it. You're still feeling yep. the emotions, but you have to make like a Herc- Herculean effort to really let go of that. So that's that's incredible. It's really uh, it's really amazing. I hope our audience
2: really understands that. That's really kudos to you. Thanks. It's mm-hmm. um, you know it's challenging. It's been difficult at times, but um, you know. I'm glad that approach has, has, worked until now, and I hope that it continues working. When we, when we uh, first got divorced, um, I realized that I, I had to make a change, and you know I didn't want to be angry anymore. I think I touched on this before. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be angry anymore, and the first person that I wanted to be angry at, that I felt I would be angry at, was my ex-wife. That's what's right in front of me and causing all my, all my emotional distress and upheaval upheaval in my life, um, this is the biggest challenge, and this is the one that I'm going to have to tackle first.
1: Are you worried? You mentioned kind of going back a bit, but I'm curious. You mentioned going to the park today. I yeah. don't know if it was today, but with, mm-hmm. with your ex-wife. Are you concerned that it could be a confusion for your children?
2: Yeah, there is a there is an element of that. I um, don't like to dangle this picture of, you know, united family happiness Um, in front of them, um, it's, it's hard to counterbalance that with, you know, I think it's good for them to see us getting along. Um, does it also have a certain element, a potential detrimental effect of giving them hope or, you know, giving them a glimpse at something that they don't have? Maybe it's, it's hard to say, you know, it was really bittersweet. Um, one day, oh, it was election day. It wasn't that long ago, just a few weeks ago. Couple of weeks ago, yeah, uh, November first, I think it was. November first, mm-hmm. as so of today, you.
1: it's November twelfth. Recording. Yeah. Well,
2: so yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it's like a day off. Everybody gets off from work and from school. Everything's closed down, so everybody can go out and vote. Um, so I said to my to my ex, like, you yeah, know, maybe yeah. we'll we'll do something together. We can all go to the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we can all go to the uh, to the voting station together, and then maybe we'll go out for lunch. So he thought that was a great idea and we did it and we had a lovely time and then my son wanted to come home with me even though he was supposed to go to his mother's it's no problem it's just down the street and you know he helped me do some stuff around the house that i wanted to do with that free time in the afternoon um, and it was really bittersweet i heard him sing uh this little song that, today was a great day i saw my mom and dad back together again mm-hmm. Back together, just together, whatever, however he phrased it. And like, yeah, that's great that he had a great day. Um, Sad that it all kind of hinged on this, what he deserves to be an everyday occurrence, Mm -hmm. seeing his mom and dad together. Is um, Is it hard
1: for you? Like, Do you find that because you've been able to let go of emotions, you know, ongoing basis, you're constantly working on yourself, but... The fact that you've done it let's say in interactions with her so when you go out with her do you find that that can be challenging like i know for myself i feel that it's just there was a moment there was a period of time where my ex-wife and i you know i was you know i would almost even say like oh we were like friends you know a very brief brief moment but there was this moment in time and i just realized it just it was not it was not healthy for many reasons. Mm then I'm just speaking for myself and do you find is that is that a concern of yours or not at all type of thing it's more just what we talk about with the kids but for yourself you're at a place where you're able to really distinguish the two
2: yeah well in, in my case and I'm sure this isn't the case for, for a lot of people I don't I don't still want to be married to her it's not like I'm I'm like pining for the few moments that we can share together mm. like our, our marriage had fallen apart we weren't in love anymore it was a matter of like what we were going to do as a result. Mm. That was the disagreement. Um, try to fix it or to dissolve it and just move on. Um, I don't find it so difficult to... She's pleasant to spend time with. Um, and, you know, sometimes it requires, on my part, a little bit of, of reflection and how, how am I relating towards this person? Am I relating towards her... As another human being that I that's in my life, my relating towards her as the closest thing that I have to could, because I'm not remarried, I'm not dating anybody currently. There's nobody, nobody's taken her place in my life. So, um, currently, so you know, am I am I unloading everything that I have to share with with a partner? on this person who's the closest semblance of a partner mm. that I have at that moment. I have to be asking myself that. Am I just yes. rambling at her? Sometimes I would find that she would come over here and, you know, I could tell from her body language that she was uncomfortable. So I, I asked her after, like, you know, well, what was going on for you there? And she she told me that she, you know, there was like an anxious energy in the, in the room. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm glad you could share that with me. Um, I don't take it personally because I know that I deal with anxiety sometimes. Um, and I realized that by having her there, I was putting myself in my mind back in into the old Noah that I used to be pre-divorce. Mm-hmm. Because the, the change in my mindset, and my approach to life, happened commensurate with the divorce. Mm-hmm. right? Right? So... You know, instead of being the person that I am now in the room with my ex-wife, mm-hmm. I was now the person that I was then. Mm. And she could feel that anxious energy. Wow. So, you know, it's something I need to be aware of. I need to to keep in check. And, and also to reassure her that, not for her own sake, but really for, for the sake of our, our co-parenting mm-hmm. relationship, that what she was observing was not the energy in the apartment, usually. When the kids are here, the mm. kids aren't in an anxious environment. Right. They they have, you know, there there's always you know a bit of this and a bit of that. But I think they they largely have a pretty happy home here. Right. And I know when other people come over to my house, they into my home, they they tell me that you know it's a nice calm environment. Yeah,
1: I've said that I think oh, also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, super yeah. chill. Super here. chilled.
2: Yeah. I think the the kids feel you know that like calm calm vibe. Uh, in the apartment, which was very different from what my ex-wife was experiencing when <laughs> she came over to visit. Right. I don't want her to think like the kids are always in <coughs> emotional distress half of their time. Right. Like, that would be terrible
0: right. so on a brighter note on a brighter note, uh, we'd love to ask our guests to share their most to dad to quit moment, like a moment where you were proudest and you're like, know. all right, I'm dadding, I'm killing this.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it would be hard to, to pinpoint one but I was thinking about this and one I don't know if it's the the definitive to dad to quit moment but um, certainly one that comes to mind um, was a weekend like this when the the kids were at their mother's place and it was it was right right before sundown when uh, when the Sabbath would be starting and you know I'd, I'd have been turning off my phone and and everything like been incommunicado, um, but like you know, half an hour to spare, my my ex-wife calls me and she says, and she's in a panic. She says our our daughter has gotten her head stuck in the banister. Oh my gosh. Oh boy, that happened to my older brother also. Happened yeah. to a lot of kids. Yeah, um, wow. you know, she wow. she seemed emotionally distressed about it. My mm, ex-wife, yeah, yeah. and she like couldn't figure out when calmly was... what what to do. And she's okay. like, can can you come and help? And thankfully. Um, We live very close by she was a little bit further then but like You know still like I hopped on my bike and Mm -hmm. got there She was like shocked at how fast I got there. I know what I was doing to come and and rescue my daughter And for me, it was like very like logistical like I need to get over there I need to help resolve this situation and free my daughters for stuck noggin. and but it was like outside uh, in front of their the house where they were living and you know so my daughter could see me coming up the walkway she saw me riding on my bike and she could probably hear the relief in my in her mother's mm-hmm. voice when when she saw me there and she's standing there crying her eyes out a little girl and she's mm-hmm. stuck and i just like i calmly looked at the angles and just kind of right. you know popped yeah. her i'm like she got her head in there. Right, it's got to come out. It's not out. so yeah. stuck that it's now getting swollen. Like that can happen. Mm-hmm. You put your finger yeah. into it, soda can or something, and it swells up, and now you can't get it out. Um, which happened to my brother. It was hilarious. <laughs> he was a grown man. <laughs> my daughter's. He yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he's not in. He um. So you know, I looked at it as as calmly as I could, and you know, figured out you know, which way she had gotten her head in mm-hmm. and got it back out and it impressed a little bit, but like didn't, mm-hmm. didn't really hurt her. Um, and everybody was so relieved. And my daughter looked at me, who's like, she's very attached to her mother.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Obviously, like a lot of parents are, uh, kids are towards their mothers. Um, there's nothing like, like mom, which is something that I, you know, repeat to myself uh, in mm-hmm. other instances. Um, and there, there was this primal, you could see this primal connection between me and her, me and my daughter, Mm -hmm. that I had just come and rescued her. Mm. And she, yeah, Yeah. that's what it seemed like to her. Mm -hmm. And she reached out to me, like I had to like come around, and and she reached out to me and leapt into my arms and said like, bye bye Ema, (laughs) I'm going with this guy, and (laughs) my hero who's just come and saved me. The cape attached (laughs) to your back, (laughs) and waving in the wind. Wow. And it was like, it, it was a big point of, uh, you know, moment of, of pride that I was able to to help her, that I could get there that quickly, that she thought to call me to come and help, and mm-hmm. that my daughter and I now had this like bonding experience where she hadn't, you know, gone through the distress mm-hmm. in the first place. But you know, I felt very very proud of that, and it was really touching how my daughter was then like goodbye, Ima, I'm going with Dad, with Abba. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that was definitely. Uh, that
0: that jumps out yeah that's me. amazing that's awesome so the last thing we like to keep our uh leave our guests with is some advice uh for people going got dads going through divorce because uh, it can be as you know an emotional time a stressful time a hopeless time you know depending on how it is what what advice can you give anyone going through it and something that maybe got you through it, something that you kept saying over and over in your mind.
2: Mm. Um, Yeah. Um, It's not the end of the world. You'll come out the other end. Um, Your life might be falling apart, but it isn't over. Uh, You can rebuild. um, And just, you know, check yourself. um, Figure out what you need to do to get through it. And... You know if there are changes that you think you need to make in your life you need to figure that Mm -hmm. out and uh, and look inwards because you're not getting it from outwards anymore you don't have that partner who's going to help you through things uh, who's going to help help you figure out what's what's going on and how to how to deal with it you're you're on your own you're gonna have to figure it out for yourself and Mm -hmm. You know, it might be time to make a change in your life. And if it is, figure out what that is and, and go after it with yeah. the same vigor that you might have in trying to keep your, your marriage together.
0: Mm. Wow. Thank you. Amazing. So, thank you for coming onto our podcast. It was, it was amazing. Your stories were amazing. Glad uh, we got to do this. I think this is going to
2: help a, a lot of people. I hope so. Uh, I hope it doesn't have to help anybody. Um, That's right. But you know, well, it could help. It. it could
0: help someone not go through it. You know, as well. yeah. There's, you know, I actually was looking at our stats, and there's between twenty five and thirty two percent of listeners are actually female. So maybe it'll give us some uh-huh. insight into what a man might be going through or could go through. Yeah. And maybe you know, maybe we'll save some marriages. Who knows?
2: Yeah. Let's um. Let's rewind, and I'm going to replace my bit of advice. Don't get divorced. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Noah, thanks a ton for doing this, man. Really thanks nice. for having that was that. awesome. Yep. Uh, before you get up, I need yep. to plug the podcast. So, <laughs> Everyone, thank you for listening. This has been the 2 dad to quit podcast. 2Dad2Quit.com. To, to, to to We're available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We want to hear your story. We want to share your story. Again, everyone has something to share that can help someone that's going through it. And we really want to do want to hear from you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, review those Reviews really do help our ratings, and I think we're onto something really big here, and uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Too Dad, to Quit podcast. Available at twodadtoquit.com Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.